The thing that I tell people who I meet who are just just starting out is that it's okay to take your time. And just because a big opportunity comes around doesn't mean you have to take it. Like it's rarely your only shot. And I think the kind of people who present themselves to you as your only shot are really toxic people. <laughs> That's something I've been trying to share and spread with with younger folks because I know there are people who can really easily make you feel small and make you feel like they're your only option and can't get better than them. But it's worth it to take a year or two or however many you need to decide, should I sign this contract? Should I give this money to this person? Or Because it's, it's, it is dangerous. There are a lot of people who are selfish. That was Samia. And this is Shiros, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, Shiros Radio. Shiros is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss challenges and triumphs, how far we've come, and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music better for everyone. Sad songs have always had an important place in popular music, no matter what the genre or era. For female artists, the term sad girl music started back in the 90s, mostly in indie rock, and was often used as a derogatory term. But lately, there's been a strong resurgence of music that fits that description, and artists like Billie Eilish, Phoebe Bridgers... And today's guests are not only embracing and owning it, but finding massive success and power in its emotional vulnerability and relatability. Samia Finnerty, known simply as Samia, is the daughter of actors Kathy Najimi and Dan Finnerty, who grew up first in Los Angeles and then in New York City. And while she has done some acting and grew up inheriting her parents' love of musical theater, Samia gravitated to music and in her teens found her way to some of the most accomplished writers of sad songs in indie rock, like The National and Elliot Smith. Samia began writing and performing songs at open mic nights in New York. It wasn't long before her music was discovered online, and Samia's career as an artist began taking off. Her critically hailed debut album, The Baby, arrived in 2020, just as the pandemic was taking hold. Forced solitude gave way to creativity, and Samia teamed up with friends to create the highly collaborative new album, Honey, recorded in the woods of North Carolina at Sylvan Esso's studio, Betty's. So this week, I'm thrilled to celebrate its release and welcome Samia as this week's Shiro in the Spotlight. Samia, welcome to Shiro's Radio. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. Congratulations on the new album, Honey. Oh, we are celebrating that this week on Shiro's. Tell me everything. How are you feeling about the new record so far and having it out in the world? I'm terrified. It's <laughs> debilitating. <laughs> What's I terrifying? Feel absolutely horrible all the time. Oh my God, um, no. It just matters a lot to me. And my friend Caleb, who produced it, and I worked really hard on it. And the first record, I had probably 10 years of emotional material to work with. And this time I 
had to really use new exercises and experiment with new techniques. So I'm really excited about it, but it's a scary thing to do putting out a second record. I know. I've had this conversation a lot with artists over the years, and I think that with the debut, right, it's like you're starting with such a clean slate and there's no preconceived notions or things to live up to or whatever. Everything's just wide open. And then you're psyched if it's successful, but then the sophomore effort, you're like, oh, shit. Now I got to yeah. like do that again, but better. Exactly. The yeah. but better part is the one I'm really struggling with. <laughs> but, but I'm trying to just think of it in terms of a snapshot and a reflection of my life right now and mm -hmm. being as honest as possible because that's really all I can do. Totally. And yeah. to touch back on your response before, needing to work with some new tools to get to where you got with these songs. Can you expand on that for us a little bit? What were some of those tools that you used or you discovered along the way? Well, during peak pandemic in quarantine, I am a person who's really afraid of solitude and I had to experience a lot of it as everyone did. But I had to use that time to reflect on past experiences. And a lot of those experiences were the ones I wrote about in my first record. But I've grown since then. So I had this new lens and hopefully a more mature lens. And I sort of just decided I was going to write about a lot of those same situations mm -hmm. from the perspective that I had at that time and the perspective that I gained from all the introspection that I had to do. That's so wise, too, because in the rear view, we learn so much in retrospect. Yeah. When you're in it, you're learning whatever those lessons are in the moment. But then there's a whole new wave of wisdom that comes afterwards, right? When you're looking back. And that's such a cool continuum to build also across albums. I've never really thought of it like that. Yeah, I, I don't know that I would have chose that path had it not been presented to me. And I'm grateful that it was in a lot of ways. Because hindsight has become my favorite tool, especially to develop a thesis as a writer, because you don't really know what the point of any of it was until after the fact. Right. So deciding what the point was, you know, sort of like a moral of the story type thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, is there a song on here that we could start with today that was a starting point for this record to tie back to the baby? The first song I wrote for it was Kill Her Freak Out, and I wrote that during the time that I was working on the baby. So it's sort of an end of that chapter. It's really not about jealousy, which is probably totally confusing. It's about withholding feelings for so long that they end up bubbling to the surface, which was a pattern for me in a lot of relationships. I was just worried about scaring people away and having two big feelings and ugly feelings. And so when I wrote this, it was just this huge release and relief because I just finally got to say the worst thing, which I obviously, I mean, hopefully, obviously didn't mean. But I think, you know, hopefully we all have moments like that where you just are so fed up with a situation and you're thinking absolute worst thing and the craziest thing that you could do to just get it out of your system. They're gonna have a baby. I'm thinking about Texas. I dreamt I was pregnant. I woke up with my guard down. You were next door with Gigi. Cocktails for breakfast Walking her groceries back to the main house He kissed her fragile hands in the sunlight Cried in my arms and woke up in the backyard And when you get passive I like to imagine you listening to worship songs on your iPod I've never been this bad 
here with us. The new album is Honey, and that's track one that kicks off the entire thing, Kill Her, Freak Out. And we were talking about how you were able with this song to say the absolute worst thing, right? Not not something that has any intent behind it in terms of taking action, but just the emotion of it. And it made me think of this practice called journal speak. Have you ever heard of this? No. It was developed by this woman named Nicole Sachs, who has a podcast, which I recommend to everybody, called The Cure for Chronic Pain. And so journal speak is a method that she has for journaling where you write everything out without the intent of holding on to it. So as soon as you're done, you rip it up. So you say like whatever the worst thing is possible, and then you destroy it immediately after. I love that idea. That's sort of what I try to do with songwriting, except then I share it with the public. And exactly. (laughs) And that was the point I was getting to, except here it lives on and on and on. Right. (laughs) Um, That's so interesting. I want to listen to that. I do also have chronic pain and I always wonder how psychosomatic or related to my emotional world it is. So check that out. I'm always so excited to talk about healing with musicians. And I've read a lot about this record wherein you talk about drinking as a way that you were coping with your emotions. You want to talk to us a little bit about that and the role that that played in writing some of these songs? Yeah, I went through a lot of uncomfortable situations sort of all at once. And the year that followed, I just was drinking every day, which is something that I found it's really easy to normalize and it's acceptable for a lot of people. And so the people that it doesn't work for, it's sort of harder to admit that to yourself. And it didn't work for me. (laughs) But the ephemeral euphoric moments were so amazing because I was avoiding processing all these things that were painful. But when I was writing this record, because I wasn't going out anymore during the pandemic and I wasn't drinking, I was thinking a lot about achieving that euphoric feeling more permanently and like how I could get there without alcohol and without relationships that hurt me and people that didn't have my best interest in mind. And so a lot of these songs are musings on this hypothetical world where, you know, you can just feel totally joyful and free all the time without alcohol. (laughs) And then you found yourself in North Carolina at Betty's, which is Amelia Meath and Nick Sanborn's studio. They are of Sylvanesso, for those that don't know. I can't think of two people more living that out than they are. How did you connect with Nick and Amelia and what was that experience like for you? We went on tour with them and it was so sweet. I was just so in awe of their whole universe and everyone involved in their touring party and their friends. It's just really familial and you feel it right away entering a space that they've curated. Everyone is welcome and everyone is included. And I just admire that so much. If there's any way that I aspire to be, it's like that and them. So yeah, we went on tour with them and then heard about their studio and Caleb and I went and it was just like such an inspiring, nurturing environment. And finally started to figure out what the thesis was for this record there. And the little seeds of ideas all started there and worked with so many people that 
they're involved with. And yeah, they're the best people to be around if you're making something. (laughs) There's like three or four things that I want to unpack in your answer. (laughs) But before we do that, I wonder if it makes sense to play Amelia here. You wrote a song for Amelia. And also just because we're in the space that we are, which is Shiro's, and I always love to talk about how we inspire each other. I imagine that Amelia has become a Shiro to you. Can you talk to us a little bit about what being specifically around Amelia has done for you, what she's taught you, and why you decided to write a song for her? That's a really good question. She just makes people feel like it's okay to commit to whoever you are and find your power in that. Like, she doesn't make you want to be like her. She makes you want to be like you and be confident in it. And it's the best type of inspiration. She just has no problem walking through the world being exactly who she is. And that begets confidence in everyone around her. And I just think she's so cool. And uh, it was really a combination of watching her on stage and then watching her interpersonally, just like Mm. as a human being interacting Mm. with people. And they held equal weight. I was really scared to send her this song, but she was so nice about it. here with us on Shiro's. The sophomore album is called Honey. We went from track one all the way to the end of the album for a song inspired by Amelia Meath of Sylvan Esso for a song called Amelia. And we were talking about the experience that you had working at Betty's, Nick and Amelia's studio, and how you met them out on tour. And just being in their universe, I think, is the word that you used, how they've built this familial atmosphere. And also one of the things that I happen to know about Nick and Amelia's universe is that they have very intentionally built their universe to be inclusive in a way that elevates women and queer folks and how important it is to do that and how rare, unfortunately, that is still, that we're still having to push forward women and queer folks in music, basically on all sides, you know, on the production team side for crew, band members, and in the studio setting. So I was curious to explore that aspect of being around that for you. Was that inspiring? What did you get from that? And is that something that is important to you that you think is also something that you want to embrace? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just watching them do that not only makes me feel more confident in what I'm creating because they've made me feel safe to do it, but it makes me excited for a world where that happens more often and hopefully more people will follow their lead. And I think that that's for sure the kind of musical world I want to live in, one that is more inclusive and diverse. I think Betty's is a really great place to start. (laughs) What have your experiences been thus far traversing the music industry as a young woman? (laughs) I learned pretty quickly. I'm really grateful. The record label that I worked with, I have since the beginning, and they just found me through Spotify. And they just happened to be two really, really amazing men. But I also had to work with 
some producers that made me feel small and a lot of strangers and a lot of people that had um, a lot of advice and a huge feeling of superiority that maybe wasn't in my best interest. But I, I mean, comparatively, I think I got to learn that really fast. I know there are a lot of people who sort of get stuck in those cycles for a long time. And that makes me so sad because I know how much it sucked. But I've just sort of whittled down the circle that I have musically and the people that I work with. It's just so much small because I'm also just really shy. Like I won't really open up other than to a small group of people. So I've had to choose really carefully the people that I trust and the people that I'm honest and open with. But yeah, I've definitely had some not great experiences. So would you say that there's still a need for us to have this kind of a conversation and for us to be intentional about building our teams in those ways? Yeah. And the thing that I tell people who I meet who are just just starting out is that it's okay to take your time. And just because a big opportunity comes around doesn't mean you have to take it. Like it's rarely your only shot. And I think the kind of people who present themselves to you as your only shot are really toxic people. <laughs> That's something I've been trying to share and spread with, with younger folks because I know there are people who can really easily make you feel small and make you feel like they're your only option and can't get better than them. But it's worth it to take a year or two or however many you need to decide, should I sign this contract? Should I give this money to this person? Or Because it's, it's, it is dangerous. There are a lot of people who are selfish. <laughs> That's such good advice. I was wondering how much of being quick to learn and to navigate that in a way that got you out of it quickly and into situations that felt safe and felt non-toxic. Do you think that any of that has roots in growing up in a professional family? Yeah, you're nodding your head. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's mostly why I feel so lucky to have learned quickly because I have parents who were willing to talk to me about that kind of thing and were really supportive in me seeking healthy relationships with other people mm -hmm. over success. And, you know, growing up, they really taught me to prioritize health and happiness and well-being over financial success or fame or any of that stuff has always really taken a backseat in terms of like my immediate family's values. But I grew up around a lot of people who were really harmed and disrespected by the entertainment industry. So I'm just really glad I got to see that. It's a huge gift that I got to see that and learn that it's not everything. And, you know, it can actually be really toxic and unfair. What about with regard to women? I'm, I'm so interested in your mom in particular, like what kinds of lessons she was able to pass on to you or what things you learned just by witnessing things that she went through I mean, I know she's in a different industry, but there's some crossover for sure. Well, she's primarily an activist and she's really justice oriented and always has been and also just happened to be really funny. And so I think in her mind, her journey as a comedian and an actress was always to gain a platform to talk about the things that really mattered to her. And that's something I've always respected and looked up to and definitely something that I want to carry into my own life and career is just like. It's awesome to have people care what you have to say, but the more important thing is how to use that to benefit other people and use that to have mutualistic relationships with other people. And, you know, a platform is a rare thing to come by and it's really important to use it wisely. 100%. <laughs> I love that. Samia here with us on Shiro's Radio. The album is called Honey. 
Do you have a favorite song on the album that we should play next? I think Dream Song is my favorite because I wrote it at the end and it sort of represents a little piece of all of the songs. I was sent a little track by track guide that you had written up and I loved this quote. If I had to leave the world with one thought, it would be this (laughs) song. And I was hoping to give that back to you as a prompt to give us a little bit more about why you said that, why you feel that way. This song is really a collage of thoughts. It's like everything I think about, think existentially and also about interpersonal relationships and my own brain and how that factors into like bigger ideas about thought. I just sort of like sat down and thinking about the record when I wrote this song and I was thinking, is there anything left I haven't said that I want to say? And so this song is sort of stream of consciousness, like everything that was left in my brain dumped out. Firefly night, platform shoes, red light You ride only big as my tequila cup In the water with a bug Sit on it and zip it up You can think of everyone And still only be staring at them But you get your dreams for free You get your dreams for free That's Dream Song. It concludes Honey, the new album by Samia. She's our guest today on Shiro's Radio. I would love to go back, if you don't mind, to your musical beginnings, whatever those may be. I was so curious to learn more about where did you and music meet up when you were a kid? Was it your family's records? When did you start playing an instrument? All that kind of basic stuff. Well, my parents are really into musical theater, so I grew up listening to Sondheim a lot, and that was really formative. And then I branched off, and I got really into Elliot Smith and Nirvana and Daniel Johnston, The National. And so it's really a marriage of those two things, I think, looking back. like I love storytelling. I love like far-reaching melodies and being melodramatic, but I just love the poetry and softness of indie music storytelling too. And this was growing up in New York City, right? I I was born in LA. I lived there until I was 14. I moved to New York. What a perfect place to spend your teen years too. Oh my God. Yeah. Did you go out and see a lot of live music when you were a kid? Yeah. I moved at the perfect times, right when I started to feel confident about performing and I would go to open mic nights three times a week with my friends. I had like three friends that also were musicians and I was writing really, really horrible songs and we would go and there's this one place called Bear Burger in Midtown Manhattan that would have an open mic night on Wednesdays and I would just go and like sit there for an hour and play. It's still sort of my favorite performance memory because anything was possible really. Open mic communities are so like sweet and encouraging and everyone has each other's back and I still follow people from that time on Instagram and stuff. It's just like, I feel really lucky that I got to start that way. 
It is. It's totally a great way to start. And for those of you that have never been to an open mic night, maybe it might be helpful for us to describe what that is like. I mean, you literally you show up and you sign up and then you watch everybody workshop their stuff and then it's your turn, right? Yeah. And it's so nerve wracking sitting there waiting for it to be your turn and listening to everyone else's music, especially when everyone else is really good. And it's just really exciting. Yeah. You just go sit with a bunch of strangers and everybody plays songs and some of the weirdest and most interesting music I've ever heard in those places. What was your instrument journey like? I'm a piano person. I always played piano, but then I just learned how to play guitar because you can't carry a piano with you to Bear Burger. So I'm still bad at playing the guitar, but I do it to write songs and accompany myself. And But the place where I feel like really creatively inspired has always been at the piano. At the piano, right. So talk to us a little bit about the community of folks. You kind of touched on that and you've mentioned Caleb a few times. Enlighten us. Who is Caleb? I know you worked with him on the last album as well. I'd been going to Minneapolis a lot and I met Caleb there and we made the first record together and I... And like his number one fan, he had a band called The Happy Children. That's still my favorite band. And so I've just always been in awe of his mind. And so making the first record with him felt really right. And then I asked him just to meet me at Betty's at some point in 2021 and see what happened. And it was perfect. He's one of the only people who can immediately pull the truth out of me. You just can't lie to him like you can see it in his eyes when he's not getting the full truth about something. And I think I really need that sometimes because I'm trying to sound smart or cool or make make my songwriting interesting to other people. And he really helped me strip all that away and get to the core of it. And who else was involved with the making of Honey? My friend Christian Lee Hudson, who's also one of my favorite songwriters. We wrote To Me It Was and Na 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 together. And a lot of those songs just came from old iPhone notes that we found of stream of consciousness stuff we'd written down in the past couple of years. And he's just so funny. I think he really helped me bring the kind of levity that I wanted to bring to this project. And his brain is amazing. And then, yeah, he played on it. So we had a big group there of my friend, Sam Rosenstone, who plays in my touring band and my friend, John, also a lot of Minneapolis people, a lot of Minneapolis people on all of my stuff always which is amazing because I think it's one of the coolest places for music right now. Where should we go next? Do you want to play a song that was really fun for you or expansive for you in terms of collaboration? Yeah, there's a lot of people singing on Honey. This song is about drinking every day to avoid confronting pain. (laughs) But it also sounds like a campfire sing-along. So it's really open to interpretation. I hope it means lots of things to lots of different people. I'm not scared of sharks, I'm not scared to be naked, I'm not scared of anything. From under here, all you can hear is the distant boom of the hell's angels. From under here, all you can fear is being saved and being wakeful and it's all It's all honey, honey, it's all honey. 
That's Honey. Samia is here with us on Shiro's Radio and the title track to her sophomore album. So before we wrap up today, I always love to ask my guests, I bestow upon you the Shiro's magic wand, Samia, and you could change anything for women and queer folks in music. What would that be? I think I would obliterate self-doubt and self-questioning. I think so many of us are taught to fact check our instincts (laughs) in a way that I don't see a lot of cis men doing, which is great. I just hope we can all feel more permission and more safety and comfort to do that ourselves and just believe wholeheartedly in our instincts. Do you feel like you've arrived there yourself? I'm getting there. I'm mm-hmm. I'm better than I was two years ago, even for sure. And it's yeah, it's a journey trying to learn a little bit more about it every day. Samia, it's been so awesome to have you here. I could literally talk to you all afternoon. Oh, thank um, you for having me. Why don't we pick a song to go out with today? I think Mad at Me is a good closer because it's the only fun one. It started as a poem about being mad at people for being mad at me, which is my biggest weakness. There's nothing I hate more than someone being mad or disappointed with me. I made it with Ross Dam, who's so cool and talented, and Caleb also helped produce it. And yeah, it was a real collaboration, a really fun one to make. With thanks once again to Samia. Thank you for being here on Shiro's. What a pleasure. Thank you. Many thanks once again to Samia for being with us. Her sophomore album, Honey, is available now on Grand Jury. She Rose is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. We get production assistance from Emma Philippos. Our original theme music is by Lucius. She Rose is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit SheRoseRadio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the She Rose shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at SheRose Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast that helps us grow and bring you more Shiro's. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening.